So nobody's watching the Olympics. According to Nielsen, the Rio Olympics opening ceremony dropped 28% from the London Olympic ceremony in 2012. And that wasn't an aberration. The kickoff of Olympic competition earned 19.5 million viewers between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., which was a 32% drop from the London Olympics. There are a bunch of reasons why the Olympics seem less interesting every single cycle. First, nobody ever talks about the home country. It would actually be interesting and worthwhile to critique why exactly there have been so many problems in recent Olympics, like dogs being killed on the streets in Sochi, Russia, or massive pollution in China and Brazil. It would be kind of interesting to know why the opening ceremonies of the Olympics this year look like a dystopian future filmed in 1970s Technicolor, sort of like the gang meetup in The Warriors, what it looked like. There's a reason behind that. These countries are run as massive government dictatorships. Brazil is a corrupt petro-oligarchy, an oil oligarchy, and it's run like that. But we never hear about that. All we hear about is that Olympic kayakers are reportedly running into couches in the middle of their races, really in the middle of the river, thanks to a trash buildup. That actually apparently happened, which is awesome. This makes the Olympics themselves seem trashy rather than just the home countries. Second, the unity of nations gobbledygook. While the Lebanese national athletes refuse to sit on the same bus as the Jews, the Olympics keep marketing themselves as a one-world organization, something along the lines of Disneyland's It's a Small World. Except that what made the Olympics interesting in years past was the international rivalry. If you watch Miracle and imagine that the U.S. hockey team just played Finland and then skipped right over the Soviet Union, there wouldn't be anything there worth filming. In a games with no villains, there really can't be any heroes. Third, the media are super annoying. First of all, they talk too much. Second, instead of just home teaming it and rooting for the U.S., the media feel the need to play neutral at the Olympics, which is super annoying and irritating. Nobody cares about the comedy of nations. We need a rooting interest, that's all. Pretending that we ought to simply shrug when dictatorial nations win medals and say, yay, great achievement, rather than getting annoyed by it should kind of annoy us. More than that, the media not along with manufactured stories like an American fencer wearing a hijab, yay, while ignoring legitimate stories like those Israelis feeling actual discrimination from Muslims at the Olympics. We can't ever call out the bad guys. Finally, we don't care about these sports. There are only a few sports people care about anymore at the Summer Olympics, barring a huge star like Michael Phelps. Gymnastics, some of the sprints, all the rest, crappy TV. Nobody's all that concerned who wins the women's rugby Olympic medals. Nobody. There were 19 sports in the 1936 Olympics, for example. There are now 28, all of which means nobody's watching. And nobody will continue to watch so long as we're asked to throw nationalism out the window when watching international competition. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So I'm here. I'm alive. Yay, I didn't die. Woo! Yes, for not dying. All right, so that's, that's very exciting. I'm not dead. Apparently, the folks in Rio... Nearly died. The viewers are dying of boredom. I have to say that that opening ceremony, I, I wasn't here to comment on it, but the opening ceremony looked like garbage. Did you guys see the opening ceremony? First of all, this looks like somebody was, it's like a, a, an art project you did when you were seven, and you got a ruler and then a couple of markers, and your job was to just fill up the page with random shapes. This is what the Olympic ceremonies looked like. And then there was like a bunch of screens as the athletes were walking in. They have the whole March of Nations where they all walk in and try not to kill each other. And as they walk in, there's all these screens up front. Like it's sort of like in the Matrix where all of the all of the screens are, are weirdly plugged in and on top of each other. And it looked like some sort of crazy dystopian future. And that's because Rio is a craziest dystopian future where people eat people and everything is soil and green because it's been run by the left for years and years. But we're not allowed to comment on that. What we are allowed to comment on is climate change so in the middle of the Olympics of the opening ceremonies, they start commenting on climate change. They said they don't want to talk about the fact that they're this, again, corrupt petrol oligarchy where the current president has been suspended from her duties for corruption and the prior president is under investigation for obstruction of justice. They don't want to talk about any of that stuff. They don't want to talk about the fact that they have massive tariffs and really bad taxes and really bad regulations and a lot of the country's living in poverty. Now, they'd rather talk about how Al Gore, for some reason, like Al Gore showed up and started talking about the, the global warming and the earth warming. And they showed some kid plants a tree or something and i was just going wait what what does that have to do with anything like I, I i like trees as much as the next fellow but why does this have to do with people working out and then taking drugs so that they can do their sports really well like i was i was informed i was informed that there would be international competition like rocky four where people would actually dope in front of me and then would hit each other but apparently that didn't happen so that was that was disappointing okay that is my informed take on the Olympics, which I feel are a complete waste of time, just like the World Cup, I think, is a waste of time. It's when we pretend to like soccer for five minutes every every four years. And then we go back to hating soccer and realizing that it's really boring and that human beings were created
created with hands. And so long as we have hands, we should actually use them in the sports in which we participate. All right, now let's talk about some actual important things happening in the news. So we'll start, you know, I want to start with a quick note. Donald Trump is getting absolutely just destroyed in the polls. I mean, just walloped in the polls. Every time Trump says I'm doing well in the polls, no, the the answer is you're doing horribly in the polls. Ever since the DNC, it's almost as though the media were waiting until the end of the DNC to hit Donald Trump with the kitchen sink, and Donald Trump handed them a kitchen sink so they could hit him with the kitchen sink. It's almost like that, because if you look at the polls, what you will see is that at the end of the RNC, this was basically a tie race in real clear politics. Today, Hillary Clinton has a seven-point lead on Donald Trump. Today, there was a Monmouth poll that has Hillary Clinton up among likely voters 52 37. So she's up 13 points in the Monmouth poll. That's not a real outlier. ABC has hit Clinton up eight. IBD has her up four. NBC has her up nine. Of the last several polls, two of the last six polls, I think, have her up in double digits. McClatchy has her up 14 points. It's really ugly, and it's, and it's really bad for Trump. Today, he gave an economic speech. He actually stayed on the teleprompter, which is what he needs to do if he's actually going to succeed here. Uh, I, I think that the time for him succeeding has basically faded. I think that it's, it's very difficult for, for Trump to, to come back from a, a deficit this large. We haven't had debates yet, so there could be a debate surprise where Trump suddenly starts to come back and he hits her, or it could be just more disastrous Trump. Right now, by the way, there's actually a shot that Hillary Clinton, there's another Georgia poll. Hillary Clinton's now winning by seven in Georgia, which is insane. Republicans haven't lost Georgia since 1992. Right now, according to the 538 modeling, Hillary Clinton could win South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay, it's a disaster. I mean, it's a full scale disaster. And so this leads me to a point. And the point is not just that that Trump is in many ways a disaster. The point that I'm making is that if you are a Senate candidate, everybody's all over some of these Senate candidates for not endorsing Trump or not getting on the Trump train. All the Trump people are saying, why aren't you backing our guy? Why aren't you supporting our guy? The answer is because this is now Dunkirk. Okay, this is now Dunkirk. For people who don't know the World War II history, the Nazis overrun France. And the British have put a bunch of troops on the ground in France in order to try and stop the Nazis from overrunning France. And so now they're pushed all the way back up to the English Channel. And Churchill basically orders this emergency evacuation where people in fishing boats are going over and evacuating everybody over to the other side of the English Channel. This is turning into Dunkirk for Republicans. They're going to need to abandon Trump because Trump is so toxic to them. And they're starting to do this. They're going to need to start abandoning Trump in order to rectify their own possibility of retaining the Senate, in order to rectify their own possibility of retaining the House. Because if he loses by 10, 13 points, we're talking historic-level blowout. John McCain got blown out by Barack Obama. He lost by seven points. Okay, if Trump is losing by 10, if Trump loses by more than 10, we're talking historic magnitude blowout. And if that happens, there's significant problems for the down ballot. So it's time you know, for those guys to, to treat this as Dunkirk. By the way, I've, I've been saying for a long time, I think it's time for conservatives to treat this as Dunkirk. The war's already been lost. You need to save your troops for another day. Conservatives need to consolidate and they need to come back stronger in four years because the chances that Trump wins this election, uh, unfortunately, seem to be diminishing, not growing. Now, again, could Trump turn it around? Yes, but Trump has a chance like, like Jim Carrey had a chance near the end of Dumb and Dumber. Right? We're saying there's a chance, but I wouldn't stake my house on it. And for anybody who, who disagrees, I know this ticks off a lot of the Trump supporters. I'm sorry, but you yourself would not bet money on Donald Trump at this point. So let's just be a little smart, okay? Let's just be smart. Put aside the political bias for a second. And he's not losing because of people like me, by the way. He's losing because he's not a good candidate and he's making lots of mistakes. Now, all that said, what makes this so frustrating and disappointing and re- really upsetting in a major way, what makes this really upsetting is that Hillary Clinton is just a crap show of a human being. Hillary Clinton is the worst. So today in Hillary Clinton is the worst. The story is this. Hillary Clinton basically may have gotten this Iranian guy killed. So there's no real proof that she got the Iranian guy killed. But here's what happened. What happened is that there's this Iranian dude and he defected basically to the West in 2009 with a bunch of their nuclear secrets. His name was his name was Shahram Amiri. That was his name. And he came over and he gave us a bunch of secrets. We paid him like $5 million. And then in 2010, for no real reason, he ends up in Iran. And everybody's like, why are you back in Iran? What are you doing there? You're going to die. And they give him a big hero's welcome. They say that he was kidnapped by the CIA. They say that it was really all about Donald, that it was really all about, you know, the, the, the Americans had captured him and it was the end of the world. What it really was, it turns out, is that they were probably threatening his family. So he goes back and they capture him, and they torture him, and then they hanged him. Over the, over the weekend, they hanged him. Well, it turns out that his name appears 
in many of the, it, it turns out his name appears in some of Hillary Clinton's emails. So in, in some of her emails, according to the Associated Press, he was described as our friend. Jake Sullivan, who's a national security staffer for Obama, referred to Amiri like this, quote, the gentleman has apparently gone to his country's interest section because he is unhappy with how much time it has taken to facilitate his departure. So talking openly in Hillary's unsecured email server about this guy as a friend, about how we're going to help him. So there's a lot of speculation that perhaps the Iranians had hacked Hillary's server, and that's how they knew that he was a spy. Now, again, not total evidence that that is what happened. It's possible that he went back and they figured, okay, he's a spy and they already knew he was a spy. And that's why he was, that's why they basically threatened his family. So he'd come back in the first place, but it doesn't really change the underlying story. The underlying story is Hillary Clinton had an unsecured server. She was mentioning stuff that was clearly classified and clearly detrimental to national security. Now I'm old enough to remember when the Democrats made a huge deal, a huge deal out of Scooter Libby supposedly outing Valerie Plame, the CIA agent, right? She was a desk agent. She, she wasn't out in the field in any way. And they made, this, they made a movie about it. It was the end of the world. It was so terrible. She was in no danger at any point whatsoever, at any time. She was not a field agent. This guy actually ends up being hanged, and the media have nothing to say about it. Oh, well, you know, no, there's no smoking gun. There's no smoking gun. Right, there's no smoking gun because there never would be. I mean, the only way to find a smoking gun here would be for us to hack the Iranians and found out that the Iranians hacked Hillary, but that's not happening. So we don't know what happened here. What we do know is that Hillary certainly didn't care enough about national security. And this also raises another question, which is how many other operations have been destroyed thanks to Hillary Clinton's email server? How many times were we staking somebody out and the Russians were hacking Hillary and they knew we were staking somebody out? How many times were, was somebody who's an actual agent on the ground mentioned in Hillary's email server and we just never find out about the operations that get blown and the people who get killed or hurt because we would never find that out. You never know about the opportunities that are missed. How many operations were destroyed because of Hillary Clinton's email server? We just don't know the answer. We just don't know the answer. Because we don't know the answer, Hillary's going to get away with it. And it's very irritating. Tom Cotton, senator from Arkansas, he said this over the weekend. You mentioned the Iranian scientist that was recently executed. Now, of course, I'm not going to comment on what he may or may not have done for the United States government. But in the emails that were on Hillary Clinton's private server, there were conversations among her senior advisors about this gentleman. That goes to show just how reckless and careless her decisions was to put that kind of highly classified information on a private server. But I think her judgment is not, is not suited to keep this country safe. I mean, clearly that's true. Clearly that's true. But the media is going to continue covering for her no matter what, because that's the way this works. The media must cover for Hillary under all circumstances. Meanwhile, Hillary is still being asked about her email server. She was asked this at a, at a media event. She wasn't, she was there. It's amazing. I mean, she spoke in front of this journalistic event in Washington, D.C., and the journalists actually cheered for her. So, I mean, at least their biases are out front. I mean, they're literally sitting there clapping for her as she lies to them in front of their face because this is how these things work. So Hillary Clinton is asked about her email server, and you wonder why Hillary doesn't do press conferences? It's because when she's asked tough questions, she actually answers like this. I was pointing out uh, in, in both of those instances um, that D Director Comey had said that my answers in my FBI interview were truthful. That's really the bottom line here. And I have said um, during the interview and in many other occasions over the past months uh, that what I told the FBI, which he said was truthful, is consistent with what I have said publicly. So I may have short-circuited it, and for that I, uh, you know, will try to clarify because I think, you know, Chris Wallace and I were probably talking past each other because, of course, he could only talk to what I had told the FBI, and I appreciated that. Now, I have acknowledged repeatedly that um, using two email accounts was a mistake, uh, and I take responsibility for that. OK, we can shut her up. She's a liar and she's awful. Of course, none of that is true. The FBI never cleared her in any fashion about what she said publicly. They didn't even comment on what she said publicly. The Washington Post gave her four Pinocchios on this particular comment. But the thing that drew everybody's attention, of course, is when she says that she short circuited. And the reason that people drew attention to this is because Hillary Clinton is, in fact, she won't just be our first female. Pre I don't actually think she'll be our first female president. I think that she will actually be our first artificial intelligence president. She won't actually be because I'm not sure that artificial intelligence can have a sex. I mean, there's no biology. So it's so she's, you know, presumably she's she's like the Terminator sent from the future to destroy Sarah Connor and also America's financial status. I have good evidence, by the way, for the idea that Hillary Clinton is actually a robot. For example, let's take a look at this one. Here's Hillary. 
Yeah, yeah. She, she's a little bit, little bit robotic there. Uh, we also have Hillary. Uh, the, the, somebody mistakenly input data and asked her to bark like a dog, and it turned out like this. Yeah, so there, there was that, which was unpleasant. And then, of course, there's Hillary rebooting, which I don't know if you've ever seen this. <laughs> there's, there's artificial intelligence president Hillary Clinton. And then, of course, uh, this is what happens when electronic devices conflict with her signal. <laughs> and then if you mistakenly input the command to dance, then Hillary sort of looks like this. And then there are just sort of errors that no one can really explain. You notify Microsoft about them. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the circuitry just ages. <laughs> and there are times, in fact, when, when her yes and no command circuitry gets compromised and things get confused. Is it a yes? Is it a no? No one knows. It's confusing. Uh, there, there are, is, uh, on occasion, there are fatal errors. And sometimes, in fact, you know, sometimes computers, the, the, here's the thing about computers. You know, computers and artificial intelligence, they don't have millions of years of human evolution. So that means that they're sort of rudimentary in how they handle things like falling objects. <laughs> so there is your first artificial intelligence president, Hillary Rodham Clinton. If you're very excited about all of that, I suggest that you get your head checked because it's pretty horrifying. We have a lot more coming up. You're going to want to go to dailywire.com to check it out because we have a lot more fun games and hijinks. We have to talk about the media. We have to talk about Trump. And, uh, and we also have to talk about things I like and dislike. It's a, it's a plentiful helping of fantastic, wonderful things at dailywire.com. Go over there to check it out. Or you can download us later on iTunes and SoundCloud, the number one daily conservative podcast in America. Make sure that you go check it out. Cowabunga dude and Trump responds to Hillary's failings by calling her mentally unstable. So it, I have to say, I don't think this is Trump's most fruitful line of attack, calling Hillary Clinton mentally unstable. Um, not because she is mentally stable, but because we have two crazy people from the asylum scene at the beginning of Amadeus running against each other. Here is Donald Trump in New Hampshire ripping into Hillary Clinton. Unstable. Hillary Clinton, and you saw that. Did you saw that where she basically short-circuited? She said she did. It wasn't a press conference because that's around 250 days. But it was in front of some friendly reporters. They asked her a very easy question, and she short-circuited. She used the term short-circuited. She took a little short circuit in the brain, and she's got problems. I mean. If we had real people, this would be a real problem for her. If we had real but I think that the people of this country don't want somebody that's going to short circuit up here. Okay? Not as your president. Not as your president. And then he, of course, turned into an infinite loop and just kept saying, not as your president, for the rest of the, for the, rest of the two-hour speech. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I was really sick last week, and that meant that I was doubly sick because I had to watch this election cycle. Uh, and it was, it was horrifying, continued to be horrifying. There is, so aside from Donald Trump calling Hillary Clinton unstable, again, his most fruitful line of attack on Hillary is that she's out of touch, not that she's unstable. And we can all see that this is a, a race between two deeply narcissistic people. I, I had a, a conversation on the air this morning with a couple of naive people. I do a morning show out here, and, uh, and now we have a permanent pro-Trumper up through the election, uh, and uh, who's a wonderful gal. My name is Jen Horn, and uh, and she's there, and Alicia's, Alicia Krause is there, and Brian Whitman is there, so now it's, it's a cast of thousands. And, uh, and Brian Whitman and, uh, and Jen Horn are going off about the motivations of these people to run for president. I said it's very obvious what their motivations are. Hillary Clinton has been running for president since utero. And she was, she'd literally just been fertilized. And for some reason, the eggs started playing hail to the chief. And Donald Trump is running for president because the man literally has nothing better to do in his life. He's a, I've, I've reached the pinnacle. I've married as many models as I'm going to marry. I've covered everything I possibly can in gold. I've, he's, like, I'm, he's like King Midas, except it's, it's not real gold. It's like fake gold. But I've, I've covered my own food in gold. I'm running out of, of edibles. So what am I going to do? I mean, like, I can't sit around all day painting gold leaf on this orange. Like, I have to do something. So he runs for president, too. It's, it's all a narcissism game for all these people. Both the people who I was talking to said, no, no, they both want to make the country better. And I thought to myself, boy... 
Everybody in this country must have a screw loose. I mean, goodness gracious. Tim Kaine, who's Hillary Clinton's boring vice president. That's his that's his actual title. It's, it's, he's not just the vice president. In Clavin's show, he always talks about Hillary Clinton running for horrible president. So Tim Kaine is running for, for boring vice president. Uh, he is he's legitimately about as interesting as a, as a blank piece of paper to eat. I mean, that's like not even just a blank piece of paper. Like if you pulp it in your mouth and just roll it around in there for a while, he's, he's about as interesting as that. Like not even with the bleach, just like recycled paper. Uh, here, here's Tim Kaine talking about how he and Hillary Clinton are going to be absolutely transparent, which is laughable. Are you guys going to uh, well, be I more transparent? It, what does that mean? It's 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 the same thing that she has said. Look, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't have uh, uh, done the private server in that way. She said it was a mistake. We, I, I am not presumptuous enough to start thinking about how I'm going to do things after November. Um, but I know that this is something that uh, she's learned from, and um, and we're going to be real transparent, absolutely. Well, they're going to be so transparent, it's going to make your head spin. They're going to get tired of their transparency. It's just going to be so transparent. Every day, it's going to be a new level of transparency, and then you'll be able to see through him. You know, he's actually going to turn himself invisible, and you can see through him. If you believe this crap, then you have to be either a Democrat or an idiot, but I guess that that's what we've got on our hands now. The media, of course, are going out of their way to to defend all of this. And this is a problem. Let's take an example. Cokie Roberts. I don't know why Cokie Roberts is a human, but Cokie Roberts is on ABC News. And Cokie Roberts is talking about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump calling her unhinged. And here is Cokie Roberts' explanation for why Donald Trump would call Hillary Clinton unhinged. And what about him tweeting about her short circuit her and short brainwashing? Unhinged. Unhinged, saying that she, uh, he, she, he questions her mental fitness. Right. Nobody in America questions her mental fitness. <laughs> well, they, they think question, she's liberal. They question his. They, 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 yes, they do question her honesty. They question her honesty. But that's what it's right. about. Unhinged it, and she doesn't look presidential is totally code for we shouldn't elect a woman. If she, that is well, exactly I don't know if I agree entirely okay, okay, with that, okay. but I... Because that's crazy. That's why you wouldn't agree with that lady. Because, you know, we call each other unhinged all the time. Un is it? So I don't understand. When everyone calls Donald Trump unhinged, is it because they don't want to elect a woman? What, what is that even? That, that's the stupidest single argument I've heard in the last five minutes. Cokie Roberts <laughs> saying that, 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 that if you call Hillary unhinged, then it's code for we shouldn't elect a woman. But this is how it's going to be. Just a quick note going forward, okay? Barack Obama in 2008, we elected the black guy, and then the idea was supposed to be great. Now we come together as a country over race, and Barack Obama instead used the club of his race to cudgel anyone who disagreed. You got the entire media saying the reason you dislike Obamacare is because he's black, not because Republicans have opposed nationalized health care for the entire history of the Republican Party, but because Barack Obama's black. If you think that electing a woman president is going to stop feminists from claiming that they're victimized at the hands of American society, think again. It's going to get twice as bad. Every time you criticize Hillary, it's, you're, it's not going to be you're criticizing her because she's a crap president. It's going to be you're criticizing Hillary Clinton because you hate vaginas. That's what it's going to be. And I mean, personally, I have no problem with vaginas, so I'm confused by this particular line of argument. But it's um, it's the, uh, the line the, uh, that the media are going to connect. Now, here's the problem. And the Republicans are rightly saying, and they're right, the Republicans are rightly saying the media are unfair to Trump. And they are. They're unfair to Trump. So here's Rudy Giuliani, who's been out shilling for, for Donald Trump, making exactly that argument. I know all of those uh, of you in the media don't believe this, but you really don't treat us the same way. Uh, the, 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 the allegations by Mrs. Smith, a gold star mother, about Hillary Clinton lying to her got about one-tenth of the coverage that the con situ uh, situation got. Uh, Hillary's, uh, Hillary's situation in which the FBI in an extraordinary memo found her to be extremely careless in handling top security information. My goodness, I wouldn't hire a person as an assistant U.S. attorney if that was in their FBI background. We're going to make a president of the United States? Nobody raises that. Nobody makes a very big deal about that. That's not on the news for five days, six days. So I think what, what, what Donald Trump is reflecting is, um, and I know the media always discounts this because you don't like to get criticized, but you don't treat us the same way that you treat Democrats. H Hillary, Bill, Obama, they get the benefit of the doubt. That, of course, is 100 percent true. It's 100 percent true. The media, you'll see. I mean, remember, last week, the real story last week was not Donald Trump going after a baby. OK, that was like a joke and it was funny and it was ridiculous. 
and it was silly, but it had nothing to do with anything. The real story last week is that Barack Obama shipped $400 million to the Iranians to free a bunch of hostages. And by the way, they're taking more hostages now. That's the real story. But that wasn't the story this weekend. The real story this weekend was, what about your gaffes for Donald Trump? And Giuliani's right. The media do have it out for Donald Trump. And I've been saying, by the way, I said this for months. I legitimately said this for months in the office. I was saying it to people all the time. There are a lot of people who bought into the myth of Donald Trump's media infallibility during the primaries. Look at this. He's saying things that would get any other candidate killed. And I basically kept saying, right, because the media want a candidate they can destroy the minute this is over. Boom. The, the, the DNC happens. He's down 10. Right, he goes from tides down 10 within a week, within a week. Part of that is Trump. Part of that's the media. Gingrich is saying the same thing. Gingrich is out there saying the elite media obviously hate Donald Trump. You know, it, it is a period of turmoil. A lot of Republicans get very scared. The, the elite media is 95 percent against Trump, and they're doing everything they can to fan the, the flames of a panic. Uh, but the fact is that uh, I think that this race is a long, long way from over. And the truth is that Hillary Clinton is probably the most dishonest person ever to run for president uh, and certainly the most corrupt ever to be nominated for president. Okay, all that's true. All that's true. Mike Huckabee makes the same claim. He says that Trump is losing because of the media. Keep in mind that the press has done everything they can to try to destroy Donald Trump's trustworthiness, even when he's telling the absolute truth and the so-called fact-checkers, which I think is a joke, even when they verify that what he said is the truth. On the other hand, you've got Hillary, who has been shielded and protected. I, I mean, the press has become her helicopter parents. And so, therefore, they are always making sure that she's presented in the best light. And that's one of the challenges Donald Trump faces going into these next few months, is, is recognizing as he wakes up every day and looks in the mirror, he's got to remind himself, the press is not my friend. Okay, if he has to remind himself of that, he was never a Republican in the first place. All Republicans know the press is not their friend. Here's the problem here. Here's the problem. In 2012, the press absolutely savaged Mitt Romney. Savaged him. And he was a racist. He was a sexist. He was going to put you all back in change. He had binders full of women. And he was just a terrible, terrible man. Mitt Romney, who's probably the nicest person ever to run for president of the United States. Certainly one of the classiest people ever to run for president of the United States. Maybe one of the most boring people ever to run for president of the United States. He runs, and the media just turn him into the devil. He's the devil. He's Darth Vader. And everybody after that, they go, the media have no credibility. Are you kidding me? They're lying. They're liars. They're terrible people. They're liars. Then Trump comes along. And the media say, this guy is really a racist. This guy is really bad. He does a lot of bad things. And everybody goes, well, you guys are liars. We're not going to listen to you. Like, why would we listen to you? We're not going to listen to you. And then it turns out that Donald Trump is kind of bad, right? He says a lot of stupid, bad things. And the media are right about him now. So what Donald Trump has ended up doing is with the, using this anti-media argument, which is a correct argument. The media hate Republicans. Using the anti-media argument to defend Trump when he does stupid things actually ends up discrediting the anti-media argument. You understand what he ends up doing is it ends up saying it makes it makes it seem like the real reason Trump is losing right now is because Trump is doing a terrible job as a candidate. Part of that is the media granting excessive coverage to that. But when you say it's the media that's killing Trump as opposed to Trump killing Trump, what you end up doing is you end up discrediting the argument that it's the media because we can all look and see that Trump is not doing a wonderful job right now. Maybe he'll recover. This has nothing to do with where the race is going. It has to do with the media. So what's going to happen, what, what's actually the irony, the irony is Trump was a product of our hatred for the media because Trump was smacking the media every day and we loved it. He's a product of our hatred for the media. Trump is going to help revitalize the reputation of the media because more and more Americans are going to start trusting the media when they talk about Trump because Trump actually does dumb things that Romney never did. Right? There are some things where they hit him and it's totally unfair, like on the baby stuff, and Trump is right to complain about that. And there are some things where they hit him where it's totally fair, like his initial response to the Khan family or the KKK stuff or the disabled reporter stuff or the whole litany, the POW stuff. I mean, it just goes on and on. The problem with Trump is he, he in his very personage, the way he argues, the way he, the way he speaks, what he says— these things end up discrediting all of the best Republican arguments. So today he gives an economic speech, and his economic speech is half conservative, half not. He's good on taxes, and he's bad on tariffs. He's, he's decent on regulations, and he's bad on spending. He, he says all this stuff, right? And then what's going to happen is people are going to take away from that that Donald Trump's policy is conservative. No, it's half conservative. Some of it's conservative. Some of it's really not conservative. But people are going to take away it's conservative. And then and then when Donald Trump's policies are implemented, people are going to say, oh, obviously conservatism failed. Obviously conservatism failed. And it's, it's, it's a problem. And look, the electoral math is getting worse for Republicans. It's not getting better for Republicans. It isn't. 
And I think that it's time that we face a few facts here, folks. And it's uh, this is disqu- I mean, it's only August. Things can change. Again, I'll say it again. Things can change. But the chances of things changing this radically in a short period of time in an election where Republicans have a systemic disadvantage, they're low. They're really low. That being the case, we have to plan for a movement for the future that's not just about what happens in the next three months. We have to start thinking beyond the next three months. How are we going to build a movement that is about truth? How are we going to build a movement that is about telling people things that are true as opposed to telling people things that they want to hear. I was on Adam Carolla's podcast last night. You should give it a listen. It was, it was fun. And he and I were talking about this, and he was saying, why don't people speak the way you do in politics? And I said, because they're afraid. That wasn't the word I used, but I said, yeah, the people are afraid. And they are. Yeah, and because people are afraid, they're not going to tell you the truth. They're not going to say things that are true. They're going to pander to particular audiences. And so what ends up happening is that if everybody is pandered to, we end up separated from each other because the only thing that can in the end unify us is truth if none of us can agree that two plus two is four then we're never going to be able to agree on anything and that's what's been happening politically we can say things that are eminently true and there's no agreement because trump is busy pandering to his people and he won't tell them the truth and hillary is busy pandering to her people and she won't tell them the truth and so what you're ending up with is these very polarized parties that only stand for particular kinds of people rather than good ideas rather than good ideas and it's a and it's a disaster area now you know, maybe Trump recovers. Maybe Trump recovers. He gives this economic speech. We'll go over it a little bit tomorrow and go through the audio and explain what exactly happened. But I have a feeling that Trump, I'm not sure Trump has it in him personality-wise. And I think the entire Republican Party, I have to say, I think the entire Republican Party has been infused with the spirit of we're going to talk about people's feelings instead of talking about facts because they think that's how they're going to win. And they don't understand that in the end, you can lie to the people and tell them about their feelings. But if you disappoint them because you're telling them things that aren't true, then they're going to hold you responsible for that, too. They're going to hold you responsible for that, too. You can't make promises endlessly to people. I guess unless you're a Democrat, maybe you can. If you're a Democrat, maybe you can. And if that's the case, then democracy really does not work. If the case is that you can be lied to and you just keep voting for the wrong stuff, then democracy doesn't work. But I have faith that if people are told the truth, that a certain number of people, I think a majority, will resonate to it. But you have to, you have to stop the pandering. You have to stop the foolishness. Uh, and and you really have to just go right at the issues. And I don't think that, that either Trump or Hillary are going to do that. That's why Hillary's still vulnerable. The only reason Trump still has a chance is because Hillary is a terrible candidate. Okay, time for things I like and then an extra special version of things I hate. So, things I like. So, while I was sick, I decided that it was time to watch some sci-fi movies. Because when you're sitting there going to the bathroom every 45 minutes, you need to do something during the gaps. So, one of the movies that I watched that I actually really enjoyed, I was surprised that I enjoyed it this much, was a 10 Cloverfield Lane. You guys seen 10 Cloverfield Lane? Yes. It's good. Good film. It's really good. Uh, The the, the very end of it feels kind of tacked on. Um, But the the first, what it really is, I mean, honestly, what it really is, is a psychological thriller for the first hour and 25 minutes. And then the end is kind of like a 10-minute chase sequence that's kind of added on. And that doesn't ruin the movie or anything. But everything, everything. With, um, with John Goodman is spectacular. John Goodman is spectacularly good and scary in this movie. He's terrific in this film, especially because I know one person who I won't mention on air who is John Goodman in this film, and he's a very powerful guy. And, he's <laughs> and if I mentioned his name, you would know him, but he is John Goodman in this film. Here's the preview for, for 10 Cloverfield Lane. Basically, what's happening, it looks like it's like a, a good family get-together drama. It isn't. What's really happening is this girl, at the very beginning, this isn't giving anything away. It's the first 30 seconds of the film. This girl is driving and away from the city, and she's hit by a car. And the next thing she knows, she wakes up basically in a bunker. And John Goodman is there, and, he's, and he tells her, you're in the bunker, and the rest of the world has been destroyed. Like, literally everything has been destroyed. And so one of the mysteries of the film is, is that true? Has the rest of the world actually been destroyed? What's going on outside the bunker? And the second is, is this guy just a, a nut job? who's kidnapped her and brought her down here. 
And it's it's a really, really tight little it, I like it. It's a tight little film. It's a, not, not a lot of wasted space. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I thought it was one of the better science fiction movies I've seen in recent years. And there have been some very good science fiction movies in recent years. But well, why don't we do science fiction movies this this week? We'll do science fiction movies as things I like this week. OK, time for some things I hate. So Barack Obama wrote a piece. I hate this kind of pandering crap. You know, I talked a minute ago about pandering crap, giving people what they want in terms of feelings without giving them the truth. So my wife and I have a rule. I think I've mentioned it on the program before. We have a rule when she comes home and she tells me about a problem in her life. And you should implement this in your relationship. It's a good rule. She comes home and she tells me about a problem in her life. I've learned, you know, we're we're married eight years. uh, And I I learned probably five years ago that I need to ask a question before we go any further in, in the conversation. And the question is, is this just a, do you want me to just let you talk? Is this just a, is this just a complaining conversation or do you want me to solve the problem? Because men tend to be fixers. When you hear a problem, we immediately grab a hammer and a, and a saw and we go to work trying to fix it. And this is particularly true when, you're, when your wife, your girlfriend comes home and she says, I've got a problem. You go, okay, well, let's fix it. And she gets pissed and guys don't understand why. Guys are like, why are you, why are you angry at me? I, you, you came with a problem. I solve things. I fix light bulbs. You know, like, tell me, well, what am I doing wrong? And the girl's like, but you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. And guys find this endlessly annoying, ladies. I mean, just endlessly annoying. If you, if you tell a guy, here's my problem, then he says, well, I have, I have a solution. She's like, well, I don't want your solution. Okay, I have solutions too, but that's not what I'm talking about now. I just want you to hear what I'm saying. So use this, this trick. The reason I mention this is because in politics, people say they want solutions, and they're totally full of crap. What people actually want is just to bitch. All people really want is to complain about their problems. And if you tell them... The solution to their problems, they don't want to hear it. So when you have feminists and they go around saying, you know, we have a problem and it's that women are paid less than men. And we say, well, I have a solution to that. And the solution is you have free choice. If you want to make as much as a man, then don't have babies and don't get married. Because it turns out then you'll make as much as a man who basically operates like he's not married and has no kids. Right. I mean, that's 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 the way that the statistics work in the 50 largest cities in the United States. As of 2010, according to Time magazine, women were paid 108 percent of what men were paid. They're paid more. As if they had the same level of education and income uh, and education and, um, and work experience and age and all this. But feminists don't want to hear that. What they actually just want to hear is you say, you know what, you're right. Women have it so rough. I can't even tell you how, how rough women have it. And if a guy deigns to say anything other than that, it's, well, you're not a woman. You don't understand. You, know, you see Barack Obama do this on racial questions, too, right? He'll say, well, black people all over the United States, they feel, they feel disadvantaged by the police. They feel it. And say, well, but there's no statistical proof that that's actually happening in terms of violent shootings, for example. And if police are running into black people more often, that's probably because most of the high crime areas in the United States happen to be heavily black. Why? Why is that a controversial thing? And if we want to solve the problem, what we really need to do is tamp down the crime rate in the black community, because it turns out that every population, when they first come to the United States, has bad relations with the police until the crime rate goes down, in which case they have great relations with the police. It happened with the Germans. It happened with the Irish. It happened with the Italians. It happened with the Jews. It's happened with it's happening in Latino communities. Like, what's the what's the big. So let, let's just get the crime rate down. And how about this? Like, here's a common standard. Everybody act well. Is that really tough? And people get mad. They get so mad if you say this. They right, you're, you're, you're taking away their sense of initiative. You're taking away their feelings. Their feelings are being... So Barack Obama writes this ridiculous, stupid piece for Glamour magazine because Barack Obama's not a president. He's a a pretty boy. That's all he does. I mean, President Obama's a figurehead and he just says pretty things and everybody goes, oh, he he just... He has feelings. He understands your feelings. So here's what he wrote. He wrote this this piece called This is What a Feminist Looks Like, which is not true. A feminist typically looks like an overweight woman with blue hair and nose ring and all that. So they're, 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 that's, okay, I'm just joking. There are lots of feminists who don't look like that. There's real feminists and there's fake feminists. Okay, my mom's a real feminist. Like, she actually worked and my dad stayed home and she took care of her family and she had kids and she made all the right decisions. My wife is a feminist, right? She's a, she's, because I consider feminism the notion that women can make any choice they want to make in life. My wife is a feminist. She's working as a doctor right now. And she's a, she's a doctor. She's more accomplished than any of these whiny feminist activists. I'm a feminist because I enable my wife to go and make the choices she wants to make in her life and encourage her to do so. And I'll do the same for my daughter. And I've done the same for my sisters and my mom. You know, so, but Barack Obama says he's what a feminist looks like. What feminists look like are people who allow feminists to whine as much as possible. That's what feminists look like. Here's what, here's what Obama writes. He writes, there are a lot of tough aspects to being president. But there are some perks, too. Meeting extraordinary people across the country. Holding an office where you get to make a difference in the life of the nation, Air Force One. But perhaps the greatest unexpected gift of this job has been living above the store. 
For many years, my life was consumed by long commutes. It's often meant I had to work even harder to be the kind of husband and father I want to be. And then he talks about it, and then he goes on and on and on and on. And finally he gets to, in my lifetime, we've gone from a job market that basically confined women to a handful of often poorly paid positions to a moment when women not only make up roughly half the workforce, but are leading in every sector, from sports to space, from Hollywood to the Supreme Court. So you'd think, okay, now celebration time. Yay, good job, America. Nope. Nope. In fact, he says, the most important change may be the toughest of all, and that's changing ourselves. Uh, Okay, we're changing ourselves. Barack Obama came along, and his wife said, if you recall, his wife said he would change our souls. Right? He could heal our souls. He could heal the soul of the nation. I don't need anyone healing my soul. It's what I got God for. I don't need my soul healed. In fact, my soul isn't the problem. It's the rest of me that's the problem, right? If you're, if you're a religious person, you tend to believe that the soul is straight from God. It's not your soul that's broken. Right? It's, your, it's, your, it's the rest of you. It's your, it's your conscience maybe that's broken. But uh, Barack Obama says we have to change as people. Marxists, which is what Obama is, they, they have a deep abiding belief, a real deep belief that... that People change, that people change on a root level, that if we just change the economic circumstances of human beings, then they change as people. Like they actually, their their souls actually change. Like if people made more money, they would become better people, which is ironic because they consider the rich people in American society the worst, right? So they say, as you become more wealthy in American society, you become more corrupt. But if we made poor people more wealthy, they'd become better, which is weird. He says, this is something I spoke about at length in June in the first ever White House summit on the United State of Women. Which, by the way, would be just the most estrogen-filled country in the world, the United State of Women. I mean, goodness, they couldn't even, there wouldn't be any agreement on when to go to war. There wouldn't be, the, the, somebody would say to the women's army, go take that hill, and the woman would go, why? I don't want that hill. That hill is nothing for me. As far as we've come, all too often we are still boxed in by stereotypes about how men and women should behave. No, actually, we're not boxed in enough by stereotypes about how men and women should behave, it turns out. Men should behave like gentlemen, and women should behave like ladies. I know, that's sexist and terrible. All of that is really just shorthand for everyone should behave like a human being, like a mensch, be a, be a good person. He says, one of my heroines is, is Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, who is the first African-American to run for a major party's presidential nomination. She once said, the emotional, sexual, and psychological stereotyping of females begins when the doctor says, it's a girl. No, that's inaccurate. That's when we know she's a girl. You know, if you're stereotyping, then don't do it. But I mean, like, really. Now, the most important people in my life have always been women, says Barack Obama. I was raised by a single mom who spent much of her career working to empower women in developing countries. That is untrue. Your mom took you to Indonesia, and then she basically abandoned you with your grandparents when you were like seven. So that's not true. He watches my grandmother, who helped raise me, worked her way up at a bank, only to hit a glass ceiling. Also untrue, his, his grandmother never hit a glass ceiling. She was a vice president at a bank. He says, I've seen how Michelle has balanced the demands of a busy career in raising a family. Michelle certainly has never hit a glass ceiling. Michelle went to Harvard Law School, got a job at a ritzy law firm in Chicago, and then got a job paying her $300,000 a year to do nothing for the University of Chicago Health System. So that's nonsense. And then he says... I was often away from home, serving in the state legislature while juggling my teaching responsibilities as a law professor. I can look back now and see that while I helped out, it was usually on my schedule and on my terms. The burden disproportionately and unfairly fell on Michelle. Well then, buddy, that's your fault. That's your fault. And that presumably that's a decision you made with your wife. If your wife said no, I guess that you and she have to make a decision, don't you? But I guess she's the victim. She's always the victim. And he says, I like to think I've been pretty aware of the unique challenges women face. It's what has shaped my own feminism. But I have to admit, when you're the father of two daughters, you become even more aware of how gender stereotypes pervade our society. And then he talks about how he absorbs messages of masculinity from magazines. And then he realized his ideas about being a tough guy or cool guy weren't just weren't me. And they said, we need to keep changing attitudes. We need to change the attitude that raising our girls to be demure and our boys to be assertive, that criticizes our daughters for speaking out and our sons for shedding a tear. Okay, nobody's criticizing a girl for being assertive. Go all the way back to Little Women, and Joe March is being assertive. Okay, and that thing was written like 150 years ago. So, no. It turns out that men in Western civilization have been pretty okay with assertive women to the point of men voting to give women the vote. Okay, it wasn't women who won some sort of war for the vote. Men gave women the vote. They did that because they were being gentlemen and decent human beings. And then he says, we need to keep changing the attitude that punishes women for their sexuality and rewards men for theirs. Okay, this is one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts. The idea that women ought to be rewarded 
for for being promiscuous. I don't think men should be rewarded for being promiscuous. But let's be real about something, okay? The reason that biology makes men more promiscuous, okay? In every species that we know about, men are more promiscuous than women. Males are more promiscuous than females. In virtually every I'm sorry, every virtually every species that we know about in the animal kingdom, males are more promiscuous. Why? Because they are spreading their seed. Females are less promiscuous. Why? Because they have to be selective in their sexual partners. This is not rare and it's not unique to human beings. These are not gender stereotypes. That is a fact. Okay, that is a fact. The fact is nobody should be rewarded for their, for their, their sexuality. I mean, I, I don't understand why you should be rewarded for your sexuality. Like, sexuality is something you do. Are you rewarded for your eating? Like, that's, that's, it's such a bizarre notion. He says, we need to keep changing the attitude that permits the routine harassment of women, whether they're walking down the street or daring to go online. Okay, first of all, you shouldn't harass women walking down the street, gang. And daring to go online, there's a nice thing about Twitter. It's called a mute button. If Lena Dunham doesn't like being quote-unquote harassed online, perhaps she shouldn't brag in her memoir about molesting her sister. And perhaps she should use the mute button if she doesn't want to hear from people. Turns out that we live in a society where anyone can say what they want. He says, we need to keep changing the attitude that teaches men to feel threatened by the presence and success of women. I don't feel threatened by the presence and success of women. I don't think most men do. I think men don't like women who treat them badly, and they don't like men who treat them badly. He says, we need to keep changing the attitude that congratulates men for changing a diaper, stigmatizes full-time dads, and penalizes working mothers. Okay, first of all, let's, okay, again, it's real keeping time now, folks, and this is not me trying to soothe thy feelings, okay, because again, I don't care about them. Here's the deal. Women have a greater drive to take care of babies than men do. They do. Sorry, biology. It just is. If they didn't, they'd abandon the kids when the kids are born. Women have a greater drive to take care of their children than men do. It's why men routinely abandon their kids, and women almost never do. And just factually speaking, in terms of crime rates, in terms of single parenthood, you never see the mother give birth, leave the kid, and then, and then just give the kid to the dad and take off. And it's extraordinarily rare. Why? Because women have a natural bond to their child that men don't have and a physical bond to their child that men don't have. But like, we're just going to pretend that men and women are exactly the same. This is coming from a guy, by the way, who had a working mom and a full-time dad. My dad stayed home and took care of us. My mom worked. He says, we need to keep changing the attitude that values being confident, competitive, and ambitious in the workplace, unless you're a woman. No. And he says, then you're being bossy, and suddenly the very qualities you thought were necessary for success end up holding you back. Again, my mom runs a company. People don't think she's bossy because she's not bossy. If people are calling you bossy, lady, maybe it's because, not because you're a woman, maybe it's because you're actually bossy. You know, men, we don't call them bossy, we just call them a-holes. Right? When men are bossy, like... I tend to be, uh, I, t I like to flatter myself that I'm a pretty good boss to the people that I work with. If I were a real jerk to the people I work with, I assume they would call me a jerk, and that has nothing to do with sex. That has everything to do with being a jerk. Again, this all comes down, this is Obama just soothing feelings. Has, have you heard anything here that's actually practical? Anything? Anything that fixes anybody's problems? Have you heard it? I haven't. I haven't heard anything. All I've heard is, women, you're right to feel like men hate you. But not me. But not me. I love you, ladies. You're just, you've had it so rough. You've had such a tough life. Everything is so wrong. You know, you can say all those other men hate you and are sexy, but I'm not. I'm, I'm a feminist. I'm really a feminist. This is just, it's the same way that you have white kids in college, and they say, yeah, I, I understand my own white privilege. And it's like, oh, well, now, now you're off the hook scot-free. You don't actually have to do anything. Congratulations. So I guess Obama's the president. He's not actually going to do anything to make women's lives better. Like, for example, you know what would make women's lives better that Obama could do and it would actually have an impact? How about Barack Obama did a speech? Just one speech, one. That's all I'm asking. And the entire content of the speech was, men, stay with the women you impregnate. Marry them. Marry those women before you impregnate them. Get married before you knock some lady up. What if he did that? Would that be the end of the world? But he couldn't do that because then he'd be judging the women who have had babies out of wedlock and the men who have abandoned those babies. Wouldn't want to make anyone feel bad. This whole long, convoluted piece is just this whole routine about what a wonderful man is. It's just a long virtue signaling. It says, it's absolutely men's responsibility to fight sexism as spouses, partners, and boyfriends. We need to work hard and be deliberate about creating truly equal relationships. He says, as a parent, helping your kids to rise above these constraints is a learning process. Michelle and I have raised our daughters to speak up when they see a double standard or feel unfairly judged based on their gender or race or when they notice that happening to someone else. It's important for them to see role models out in the world who climb to the highest levels of whatever field they choose. Vote Hillary, yay. That's, that's really what... This whole thing is supposed to be. And then he says at the very end, that's, he just says it right at the very end. He says, this fall we enter a historic election. It's a historic moment for America. No, it's really not. It's not an important moment for America. 
the only thing that's important is we're about to elect of two crappy candidates. We're about to elect a crappy president, either the crappy woman or the crappy man. It's it's just it's it's silly. But again, all of this comes back to this feeling in politics that I hate more than pretty much anything that you are supposed to pander to people's feelings rather than telling them the facts. There are sexists out there. There are men who have said I've seen it. I saw I saw when I was working at a law firm uh, in uh, in in L.A. There's a guy who ran the office and he would routinely wait until a woman stepped off the office. And if I was if any other guy was in the elevator and he would make some sort of derogatory sexual remark. I know that there are men who do this sort of stuff. I know there are men who are sexist. If they're men who are sexist and if they behave in a sexist fashion, then they should be punished by their companies. Then they should be then they should be told no by their by the people who are in the elevator with them. There should be a there should be social stigmas, not legal stigmas attached to speech. There should be social stigmas and legal stigmas attached to behavior. Right. But but beyond that, I need an actual wrong to right. Don't just tell me sexism is out there somewhere in the ether. I'm not going to go ghost hunting with you. I have no interest. Ghostbusters sucked originally, and it sucks even more when we do the social justice warrior crap where we just put a bunch of women in there. So Barack Obama virtue signaling, that's the thing that I hate for today. Okay, one correction. I, for some reason, this, this Michael Jordan, his, his dad getting killed story, I keep screwing it up like over and over. So it turns out that the killers were not one white guy and one black guy. It was one black guy and one Native American guy. I've been assured this in very strong terms by one guy who keeps writing me over and over. And for some reason, is I don't know if he's trying to solve the, the mystery or what, but he's he keeps writing me about this particular thing. Okay, fine. So that's the that's the correction segment. I'm sure I got something wrong in today's show, and you can let me know tomorrow. And we will be back tomorrow. We'll go over we'll go over uh, Donald Trump's economic speech, and we'll talk about the latest from the Olympics. Uh, and hopefully, I'll have more information on that kayaker who hit a couch. Supposedly, this actually happened. There was a kayaker who's in the middle of the race hit a couch and capsized because things are so polluted there. There's legitimately a couch floating just below the surface, and he hit the couch, and he capsized, which, come to think of it, is just a metaphor for the election and the world and the Olympics and everything. So thank God I'm healthy, and thank God the sun rose today. Thank God for little things and big things. I'll be back tomorrow with all the bad news. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlow, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlow's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlow's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE.